So this week I had a conversation with somebody in which they were asking me um, about what it, f- what, what it was like to be a youth pastor. Because if you don't know, and some of you guys were in my youth group growing up, is I was a junior high pastor, and then I was a high school pastor, and then I was a junior high and high school and college pastor. And so in my early 20s, I started off as a junior high pastor. And I was talking to somebody about it this week, and they said, well, did you ever, you have any crazy stories uh, when you were a junior high pastor? And I was like, oh my, how much time do you have? I just have crazy things that have happened. When you put in a couple hundred junior hires in a room every week, you know that there's going to be fireworks, literally. And so one of the, the craziest moments that I could think of, just right off the top of my head, and, and it's funny, some of you guys were actually there for that. This was 10 years ago, but uh, you were there, was... Um, when we decided we were going to throw an event, and one of the ways that we would throw events is we would do something really fun, and then everybody would bring their friends, and so we'd try to have something really uh, really exciting that they could invite their friends to, and, and we decided that it would be really fun, and I don't remember what the theme of this event was, but I just remember that we hired some really, really inexpensive um, fire dancers and fire breathers, okay? <laughs> I don't know where we got them. I'm sure that like Craigslist or something like that. And so we hired them and it was Travis and I, if you don't know Travis, he's the high school pastor here. But at the time, um, he and I were kind of doing youth uh, ministry together. And so we hired these fire breathers slash fire dancers and we thought this is going to be so fun. So we had like 250 junior hires in the room and they came up and... I knew right off the bat meeting them that this was not going to be a good idea because I'm pretty sure he was a tweaker. And so... We're like, you know what? We're just going to go with it. We'll see what happens. And so they get up there, and it's a boyfriend and girlfriend act, and the girl gets up there, and she has some crazy intense music, and she is wearing very little, which we were not prepared for because she was fully dressed before, and then once we got started, not so much. And so uh, we did a sex talk that night as well. No, um... And so she does her dance, super scandalous, super weird, and I'm going, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? Little did I know, it was going to get worse. And so when he comes up, he is in a full uh, one-piece spandex suit. He has super long hair, and he probably weighs like a buck ten. And so he is fabulous. So he gets up there to do his thing, and for the final, like the finale of the night, which I was very much looking forward to because I wanted it to be over at this point, um, he has the kids kind of stand back, and he's going to do this like fire-breathing thing, you know, where he puts alcohol in his mouth and he spits on it. He's like, woo, this is crazy. Apparently, he is not very good at this because when he went to go do his finale, he blew this alcohol onto the fire, and then it came back and lit his face on fire (laughs) in front of 250 junior hires. And so he, his, he stands up, his face is literally on fire, and he runs out of the room. He runs out of the room with his face on fire, and then, he's dr- and then he has a trail of alcohol that's being lit on fire on the carpet as, as he's on his way out. And so there is smoke because the carpet's on fire. There is a guy literally rolling around trying to get his face to, get, uh, to, 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 uh, to no longer be on fire. And, uh, and these kids are losing their minds at this point. And they are having the best time of their life. They get their phones out. They're like, can you have this guy's face is on fire? And so they, they start posting it. I'm thinking, I've lost my job. This is, this is horrendous. And as I'm, uh, as I'm sitting there, Travis gets up and he runs after this guy thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's face is on fire. And then he gets, a, I think, a fire extinguisher and he puts it out. And I'm not even kidding you. I, I just sat there. I didn't even move. I didn't even get up. I just went... Okay, so this is where my life is heading right now. This is it. This is, and I, in that moment, I remember having this thought. The thought was, uh, what exactly am I doing with my life? 
You know, like, what am I doing? How did I get to this point right here? I had so many dreams and aspirations for my life. And yes, I was still young and I'm still, you know, in my early 20s. But I just thought, I thought that life would look a little different than it does right now. This is not what I had anticipated. And as I talk to more and more young adults, it seems like this is a pretty common feeling. Is if I asked you what your top fears are in life, Besides the obvious ones where we talk about fear of, of your family getting hurt or uh, sickness or, or whatever, almost every single young adult that I have talked to gives me um, an explanation of they are afraid of what the future will look like for them. They're afraid of not knowing what their career is supposed to be or landing that job. They're not really sure what they're passionate about or what their purpose is. They don't know who they're supposed to marry and if they're going to have kids and where they're going to live and if they're ever going to have that house and, and that white picket fence. And, and the, their whole future is in front of us. And yet we're so full of fear and anxiety because we just don't have answers to any of these really big life questions. And so when we start to think about the next 5, 10, 15, or 20 years of our life, it's a giant question mark and usually will, if we sit there and think about it for too long, make us pretty anxious or afraid. And so I want to tonight, um, I'm not going to be able to answer those questions specifically for you. I don't know what those are, okay? But here's what I think we can do, is we can answer how we are supposed to look at these different arenas of our life, how we're supposed to answer these questions. And then once we do find the answer to those questions, because we probably will, is what kind of significance do they play in our life? What kind of weight should we give them? And so there's really two different ways that most people are going to answer these questions or are going to try to uh, address these big life issues. The first one, and it's probably not very common, but we all know people like that, is, um, and I call this the, the lose yourself. So to answer these big questions of what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go and how I'm supposed to, we just say, lose yourself. Just, just let life come to you. Now, you have some people in your life like this. In fact, you might be this person. I call them a free spirit, right? Do you have a free spirit in your life? It's like, man, don't worry, it's fine, just, it's going to work out, everything's going to be cool, man, like, it's going to be great. It just, for people like me, I just can't stand them, right? <laughs> and I get it, they're a free spirit, they're just going to let life come to them, they're not going to worry about the future, they're just going to live in the moment, because that's all we really have is this moment right here. And so if you listen to some popular songs, one came on the radio today, actually, so I wrote it down. There's tons that kind of um, would advocate this view, but there's one that you've probably heard of, James Bay. And here is just a little snippet, a little bit of his song. It says this, trying to push this problem up the hill when it's just too heavy to hold, think now's the time to let it slide. So come on, let it go, just let it be. Why don't you be you and I'll be me? Everything that's broke, leave it to the breeze. Because the breeze is going to fix everything, Right? And so this is, this is kind of that, that view, is don't worry about your future. Don't worry about what's going to come. You just got to let things happen. Because here's kind of the fundamental belief, the, the assumption that's underneath this view, is that things are going to work out the way that they're supposed to in the end. Now, I understand this view. In fact, I've heard lots of people advocating for this view. I was, uh, I was at a funeral. Actually, I had to do a funeral about a month ago. And one of the speakers got up, and he had just lost a loved one. And he talked about how the universe was in control. 
didn't really believe in God, but believed that the universe was in control. And I wanted to, and I didn't, but I wanted to get up and be like, that's crazy, okay? Those, the planets do not have, they do not care. They're an inanimate object. I understand that you like to think that the stars aligned and that things are gonna work out. That's crazy, okay? That is not, that's not a rational thought. And a lot of people, they would say that, you know, things are just going to work out. But I, coming from a Christian worldview, look at those people and say, how, how do you have that kind of faith in the stars or in the universe or in karma or in whatever it is? How do you have that kind of faith? Because I can't find any reason to believe if there is no loving God out there who cares for us and we can have a relationship with why things would work out for us. As a Christian, I can believe that because I believe that we have a creator God who I can be in a relationship with and promises to work out all things for uh, the good of those who love him. So I can understand that belief, but I don't understand how other people can advocate for that. And here's the danger, I think, is when we just let life come to us and we're just going to take it as it is and, and, and think that things are going to work out. The fear is, and I think the danger, and this is usually where people end up, is when they just let come, life come to them, at the end of life, they end up saying, I've wasted it. I wasted my life. When I let life just happen to me, I end up wasting a lot of the talents and opportunities and resources that I've been given, and I also don't live up to my full potential. Is I believe all of us have, and we're going to talk about this in depth in a moment, but all of us have some kind of mission, a purpose in which we are supposed to fulfill. And when we let life just come to us, we end up wasting our talents, our lives, our opportunities. Our life just passes us by. Now, I got to be honest, at least in my personal experience, uh, this is not the majority of people that I know. They do not fit into this category. The majority of people that I know, they fit into the next category, which is go out and find yourself. Create the life that you want for yourself. And so it's kind of this whole idea, and this is a very American, Western, individualistic kind of mindset, but it's, it's about going after your dreams, figuring out what you really truly want in life, what you desire, and then going out and getting it. Climb that hill, go out there, hustle, take life by the horns, and go and do what you want to do. Um, one of my favorite, um, my, well, it's not my favorite TV show, but it's a TV show I watched a lot, which was the Rob Deerdeck Fantasy Factory. Yeah. <laughs> Great show. And he had this t-shirt slogan thing that he would say, and it always says, make your own luck. And I found that a fascinating slogan because this kind of represents the idea is if you want to achieve certain things in life, if you want to have the life that you desire, you have to go out there and make it happen. It's all up to you. And so if you want to be healthy, go, or want to be wealthy, go and make a bunch of money. You need to top, uh, climb the corporate ladder. Or if you want to be well-known, you need to become a celebrity. So go out there and become somebody. Or simply, you want to have the American dream of, of a house and kids and a dog and a car. Well, okay, fine. Go and make that happen. And I think that both of these views of lose yourself and find yourself, that both of them have truths to them is the person who advocates for just let life come to you and don't worry about it. I think that, that there is a part of that that's actually good advice, which is we shouldn't worry, that the world is uncontrollable and that we can't control it at times. And, and so we need to no longer be anxious or fearful. And so I think that's partly true. And I also think it's partly true that we have personal responsibility and we need to work hard and, and we have to be committed to our certain goals and desires. And so I do think that both of those have um, a, a lot of uh, merit to them. The problem with this view, however, though, is that we want, what we want is almost never what we actually need. 
What we want is not what we need. So uh, Amy and I, we watch fail videos all the time, but there's one type of fail video that Amy, she will, she doesn't find the ones where they fall down all that funny, but she loves the news fail videos where like they slip up or they have a live interview that doesn't go so well or whatever. She just starts giggling and thinks that's the funniest thing ever. And so we watch those uh, on a regular basis. And there's one that we watched this week, and it's great. The, the news anchor is out um, on the scene where there's like a bunch of people buying lottery tickets because there's a huge lottery that's happening. And so she's going around, and it's like a trillion dollars that you can win or whatever. And so she goes to one of the guys, and she taps on his shoulder, and he turns around, and she says, hey, what will you do if you win the trillion dollars? And he says, I'll buy a bunch of hookers and cocaine. And she goes, okay, next one. And it goes to the next one. It is so... <laughs> So hilarious. I'm thinking, maybe you should have talked this out with him before. Uh, but hey, that's live TV. And what's funny is what we oftentimes want is not what we need. If you have kids, you will learn this very quickly. Because if I put my kids in charge of our household, I think two things would probably happen. I have a two-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. I'm pretty sure that we would all be diabetic because my son would only have us eat Oreos for every single meal. He showed up in my bedroom this morning with a full Oreo in his mouth. Just like, I'm living it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this is the life. And I would probably be, I would probably dress like a drag queen because my, my daughter would only have princess dresses in our house. Okay, be like, I'm sorry, that's the dress code around here. You're going to wear a princess dress. <laughs> you know, like, that's what I want. And so if they were in charge of our house, um, the things that they believe that they need and that they want are, are definitely not the things that are going to be good for them. And this is true at any age. If you look back at yourself at 16 and you think about all the things that you were sure that you needed or you were sure that you wanted, if you had actually gotten those things, you would have ended up as a disaster. And we know this because we've seen child celebrities before. They get the things that all 16-year-olds want, and they end up horrible. I'm still brokenhearted about Macaulay Culkin and how he ended up, okay? He was so promising in Home Alone 1 and 2, now a disaster. But anyway... The thing is, is we often, we often want the wrong things because we don't know what's good for us. We don't have the right perspective. So if you go back to my kids, for example, is they don't understand what's good for them. They understand what tastes good, Oreos, but they don't actually understand what's good for them because they're not mature enough, they're not old enough, they don't have enough life experience. They don't have the perspective to know what's actually good for them. You know what's actually true of you and I? is we don't have the perspective to know what is actually good for us. Now, we may be able to deduce certain things in life, and some of them are kind of common sense, but we don't know the beginning of our life from the end. We don't know how certain things that happen to us are going to affect other people and vice versa. And so we don't have this perspective in which we actually know what we need. Because we don't know um, our deficiencies. We don't know the areas of our life that may need work. And we may be blind to those things. And so ultimately, we can't, even, we can't even request the things that we truly need in life. And we're going to go even deeper than this. Oftentimes, our wants are fueled by destructive behaviors and destructive thoughts and feelings. I've uh, had the opportunity um, to get to know quite a few successful people, successful people in their careers who have made lots of money and things like that, and, and I've got to know them on a, a fairly personal basis. And as I get to know more and more wealthy people, I've come to a conclusion that may not be surprising to you, but, um, but it, it is to me. And here's the conclusion, is 
the wealthiest people that I know are some of the most screwed up people that I know as well. And you may think that it's because they made a lot of money that it's kind of screwed up their life, and that could be true, but I think for the most part, it's actually the other way around. Because they're so screwed up, they've been able to make a lot of money. Let me explain. Is oftentimes the people who are the most successful in life, at least in their careers, are driven by some really unhealthy behaviors and thoughts and motivations. So some of the people that I know that are really wealthy, they're driven by insecurities because their entire self-worth is found in how they perform in their job. And so if they do not perform well, they are going to lose their total identity, lose their self-worth. And so they are literally fighting for their life in order to be successful. And once they are successful, then uh, the, the other side of the coin of insecurity is pride. And so because they're winning, they can be prideful about themselves. Or fear. I know so many people, and I would fall into this category, that has this fear of failure. That I will be seen as nobody, as a nothing, that I won't be worthy. And so I'm constantly driven by fear in order to continue to succeed. Others of us are driven by false narratives. As we were made to believe that you will find the hope and the happiness and the satisfaction if you just get there, wherever there is. Or if you could just have X, Y, and Z, or if you could just experience this, then you're going to get what you're actually looking for. And see, the truth is that's a false narrative. That's something that we've bought into as a culture that isn't actually true because once we arrive there or once we experience that, we're going to go, is that all there is? And we'll end up being disappointed. Or I think most of us, we struggle with this idea that We have to be somebody, we have to be successful, we have to do things because we want other people to think uh, positively about us. I was talking to a guy who's actually really successful the other day, and we were talking about his career, and he's just like full of anxiety and fear, and and I said, you know, maybe this is true of you, because I know that it has been true of me in the past, is um, we're always performing for this invisible audience around us. Like, we're convinced that everybody's watching us, right? And he goes, oh my gosh, that's so true. I was swimming, and I was like trying to swim as hard as I could because I was sure that other people were watching me swim, right? And you're at the gym, and you're like, <laughs> you see that? You see what I did? And I was like, no, no one's watching you. No one cares, <laughs> you know? But we have this invisible audience, and we're, we're pretty sure everyone's watching us, so we have to be successful. And for some of us, it's a real audience in which our family or our friends or uh, those coworkers around us, they're watching us, and so we are fueled by trying to impress other people. And see, all of these things will will get us to where we want to go in our career. Unfortunately, they're incredibly destructive to our character and to our relationships. See, the end result of either losing yourself and letting and just living in the moment or attacking life and trying to become successful, however you define it, is eventually your identity and your meaning are going to be rooted in something that you do or that you are or someone that you know. So it'll be something like material wealth or or success or beauty or social status or relationships that you have, is that will be the thing that ends up defining you. That will be the point of your life. And so when you think about who you are and why you're special and what your life is all about, you'll say, well, you know, I'm important or my my identity is found in in my looks, how I dress or how other people think of me, Um, the money that I have, the fact that I'm in good shape or the fact that I'm well-liked or or you may even just take pride in being free where you go, ha, all of you other people are locked down and I am living free in my parents' basement, right? Okay. (laughs) When you build your purpose and identity on these things, whatever that thing is, 
it ends up being an incredibly fragile and dangerous place to be. Because it will either end up to where you reach the end, you get to the place, the thing that you think is going to fulfill you and satisfy you, and you realize there's nothing there, or somewhere along the way, you lose the thing that you have placed all your identity and meaning in. And what happens in that moment is you end up losing everything in life, almost to the point of wanting to end life itself. So last night I watched this uh, documentary on Netflix, and I was just going through, and it, it kind of seemed interesting to me. It was about MMA. So I started watching this MMA documentary, and it was going through um, different fighters' lives and then preparing for fights, but also the kind of the psychological battles that they go through. And, and they interviewed some of the top fighters and then also people who were at the end of their careers. And the people at the end of their careers, it was really depressing because for most of their adult life, they have been seen as fighters, people who are winning, people who are successful. And now because of either injuries or old age or whatever it may be, they have, uh, they've, they've come to the end of their career and they're just going, who am I now? Why am I special? Why am I valuable? What's my life all about? And there's one in particular where it was really sad. This guy, he just, he just seemed so lost actually to the point of wanting to commit suicide because he just had put everything into the fact that he was a fighter. And now that he's not a fighter, he goes, I don't know what I even live for any longer. <clears throat> See, the thing is that whenever we put our identity in the things in this world, it ends up being incredibly fragile. It can be taken away from us in a moment's time or it will just end up disappointing us. This is even true of the great things in life. And so for me, the thing that I have a, a tough time with putting my identity and my hope and my meaning in is, is my kids. Is there a great gift from God? However, they're not a substitute for God. And so when I put my hope and my trust in them, they will disappoint me or I will disappoint them or God forbid they're taken away from me. And in that moment, I have lost everything if that happens. See, the scripture says that we, uh, we're partially right and partially wrong. See, Jesus comes along, and this is why I love being a Christian, because it just makes so much sense. And Jesus, he really is the most profound teacher, because he comes along, this is 2,000 years ago, and he goes, so um, losing yourself and finding yourself are both true in part and also fatally flawed. And let me explain this to you, because there is a third option in this deal, and he proposes the third option. It's actually in Matthew 10, 39. It's in the verse that we went over last week. And he says, if you, want to, uh, if you want to find yourself, you have to first lose yourself. And it seems like a paradox. Here's exact words in Matthew uh, 10, 39. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So in the Greek, this word uh, life here is psyche. And obviously, that's where we get our word psychology from. And it can be translated in a few different ways because it has a lot of meaning behind it. So it can be soul or it can be life or in certain uh, versions, it would be translated as your true self. And so he's, what Jesus is saying here is he says, um, those who find their life, meaning they go out and they make life up and they decide what their purpose and their meaning and their identity will be based in or even those who let life just kind of come to them, whatever it is, when you're in charge of your life, you will eventually lose it all. You'll either lose it all on this side of heaven because it will end up failing you somehow, or you'll lose it the day that you face Jesus and he says, get away from me. Because you didn't make your life about me, your eternity won't be about me either. He also says here, if you want to find your true self, the one that's your 
created, God-given mission in life, the one where you find your true identity and, and purpose, if you want to find your true self, then you have to lose yourself, and this is important, for my sake. Meaning you have to give up your entire life over to me. You have to say, I'm no longer in charge, Lord, you're in charge. If you've been around church for a while, you, there's probably a phrase that you're familiar with and you've heard before. And in the passage directly before this one, Jesus gives us kind of uh, this famous phrase. He says, if you want to find your true identity, your true meaning, then you need to take up your cross, come and die. Now, for us, um, this is kind of like romantic a little bit, because we don't have a whole lot of crosses that are hanging around here with people dangling off of them. Um, and so if you were going to put this in like the original audience's kind of what they would think of, in our context, it would be something like, go to the electric chair and be electrocuted. Go to the gallows and be hung. Go and be tortured to death if you want to follow me. It's not like this cute little chain that like a bunch of people have. We're like, I just got a new cross for Christmas. It's cute, you think? Oh, it's diamonds. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why that boy. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so Jesus is saying this. He says, listen, if you want to follow me, you have to die. Now, does he mean physically die? I mean, that's happened to uh, countless Christians over the years. But let's be honest, for us in this context, when he says that you have to die, what he's really saying is you have to die to yourself. You have to die to whatever hopes and dreams you have for your life. Because your life is not about you, it's about him. And so whatever hopes you have and dreams you have, you have to be ready to drop them at a moment's notice because your life is not your own. You have to die to your view of sex and the way that you use your body because it's not your body. He tells you what to do with it. He's your creator. He's the one that has gifted you, and he's the one who gets to tell you how to use it, especially when it comes to sex. We have to die to our sexuality and our, our gender and our view of marriage and all the other contemporary issues that we feel like we have a right to uh, proclaim how we are supposed to use our gender or view gender and use marriage. He says, no, 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 no. It's not about what you think. It's about what I think. And even if you don't like what I think, you got to adapt your views to me. Not, you're, I'm not going to come to you and say, hey, whatever you want, you say whatever you want, Christ. What we, what we do with our money, what we do with our time. Eventually, we have to die to all the opinions and beliefs that we have. And we have to say, Lord, it's your opinions, your beliefs. I want to align my thoughts with yours. See, here's the result of this. When we hand over our lives to Christ and we die to these old ways and beliefs and views that we have, when we give those things over, in turn, we receive our true identity and God-given purpose. So let me take the first one, is when we give our lives over to Christ, and this is a daily submission where we say, today, Lord, my life is yours, whatever you want, it's all about you. We eventually discover who we truly are. Because before, our life was, or our identity was based upon what we do and who we know and what other people uh, think of us. And as we talked about, that's incredibly fragile identities. But then we get to move our identity from being in those things to now being people who are simply loved by God. Now, that may seem kind of simple, but think about this for a moment. The reason why we put our identity in the things that we have or people we know or what we can do is because all of us are trying to get to a place in which we feel as if we are valuable and we are loved. 
So I'll play with my kids and I'll be sitting on the couch and we'll be hanging out and my kids will, they'll just do some trick. They'll be like, daddy, daddy, look at what I can do. And it's like, oh, cool, half like a, a somersault, great. You know, like they're just super amped and they're like, daddy, daddy, look what I can do. You know, and they're doing the other stupid thing that they do. And so um, and, and I don't tell them that most of the time. Um, I, my response to them is, oh my, I can't believe you can do that, you know, like, wow, and so I let them know, like, you are so awesome, like, that is incredible, good for you, and what are they asking for in that moment? They, they're asking for um, affirmation. Hey, tell me I'm valuable, dad, tell me once again why you love me, do you love me, do you love me, and that's what they're constantly asking me, and see, children are they're so obvious in their desires. Look, I want to be loved. I want to be valuable. And it's just plain as day what they want. As we get older, we get a little bit better at hiding this, but that's what we're actually trying to find. We're all trying to become, trying to be seen as valuable and loved. We want to be seen as good enough, as worthy, as special, as loved unconditionally. Because if we had those things, we wouldn't have to try to achieve all this success because we would already have the thing that we're seeking for. And Christ, he says, I can give you that. I can give you those things. I died on the cross so that we could trade places. So now you're worthy. You are valuable. You are special. And of course, you're loved unconditionally. You don't need to do all those things. It's just like, it's kind of like me trying to impress, my kids trying to impress me with their half somersaults. I go, look, you don't have to do that. You just, you just come and sit right here and I will love on you. That's all I want because you are valuable. You are special. I do love you unconditionally. So stop trying to impress me because I don't care about any of those things. Christ says, you know, you can just put your identity in the fact that I love you and that's enough. That's all you got to do is be in a relationship with me. The other is it frees us to pursue our mission and purpose in life. See, when you find your identity in Christ, it frees you from worrying about the future, worrying about what everybody thinks of you and trying to prove that you are somebody. And so you can go and say, you know what, I don't care if I have to take a job that doesn't impress my friends because I know that this is what I'm called to do or I don't have to live in this big comfortable house and have all the cars because that's not, that's not me. I don't have to fight for my identity any longer. I don't have to worry about what other people say to me because my identity is secure. It's no longer fragile. I'm no longer trying to earn it. I'm no longer trying to prove that I'm worthy. And so you know what happens when you reach that place where you're not trying to prove yourself anymore? Is now you are free to go and pursue the mission that God has for your life. I've seen so many people who are incredibly gifted, who, have, who could do incredible things for the kingdom, and yet they're so insecure and so fearful and always trying to impress everybody and always trying to be somebody that they go their entire life missing it because they just can't get past this fragile identity that they've created. And so eventually our, our life goes from asking the question of what's going to make people love me or, or think that I'm impressive or worthy to, Lord, what would you have me do today? See, the scripture says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, this means that God not only created you, but created you specifically, 
as an individual for something that he wants you to accomplish. He has a goal for your life. He has a specific purpose that plays a part in this bigger kingdom at hand, and we get to be a part of it. But here's what it takes. It takes us going and stepping away from our fragile identities and trying to become somebody who we think is so important and go, God, what would you have me do? And this is so countercultural. This is so against the American dream and, and the version of life that we've been sold. Because, and I love this illustration, is the version of life that we've been sold is kind of like a blank canvas. Go out there and paint the picture of your life. Whatever you want, you do it. And the scripture says, actually, it's not like that at all. The picture of your life is more like a coloring book in which God has this beautiful picture for you. And he just says, I just want you to fill in the blanks. With my help, I'm going to help you do this. I already have a beautiful picture in mind. You don't have to go out there and create it for yourself. I've already got something beautiful that's waiting for you. And so the prayer and the focus of our life just becomes, Lord, I trust that you have something great for me to do. And so help me to be able to see that. Help me to be able to follow where you're leading. Give me the power and the strength through your Holy Spirit to fulfill the purpose that you have for me. And here's, I think, the eventual result. And I see this in my grandfather. I talk about him a bit. Is He's in his 80s. And I was hanging out with him uh, about a month and a half ago. And he knows that he's getting close to the end of his life. He was a pastor. And, he did, and we were talking, and, I, and he, we got to talk pretty frankly about, you know, coming to the end of his life and knowing that it's coming, uh, that's going to end soon. And, and he had, and he described it, he just has this incredible freedom and peace where he doesn't have a whole lot of regret. He doesn't look back on his life and go, man, I just, I screwed up with my kids or my, my marriage was a mess or I never got, his biggest regret was there was a few sermons that he didn't do very well at, which I thought, that's like every week for me. Like that is, <laughs> that's all you got? Are you, and as I look at him, I go, that's what I want. I want that. I want to be 85 years old and going, I'm at peace. I'm good. I don't look back with a bunch of regret and a bunch of missed opportunities in my life because I, I figured out who I was and that was someone who was loved by God. And because of that, I got to pursue the, the incredible purpose that he had for my life. And then once that's all done and it's coming to an end, I get to go, I'm at peace. I'm at peace because I did what I was supposed to do and now I'm going where I want to go. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. And... Uh, as we are beginning, many of us, this journey in life in which we are still have so many of the big questions that are ahead of us, like who we are going to marry and, and children and where to live and our careers, and uh, Lord God, we want to look at that as an opportunity, an opportunity not to, uh, to, to shape our identity or to figure out um, why we're worthy or loved, but as, a, as an opportunity to serve you. And so, Lord God, I would just pray right now for those of us who are struggling with trying to figure out who we are, that we would be able to just stop and say, you know what, who I am is a child of God. And so that makes me infinitely worthy, infinitely loved. And so, Lord, we want to step into that. And through that, we want to um, step into whatever the mission is for our life. As individuals, you have given us a specific purpose, and we just want to step into that and fulfill that ministry. So Lord God, we thank you. We love you. And then we pray. Amen.